0: Generosity is a really stupid idea unless there isn't a God on the throne.
1: Welcome to the Purpose Podcast. Our goal for everyone everywhere to follow Jesus. So that means you and your friends, and their friends, and everyone else. Let's get deeper. Hey Purpose people, welcome to the Purpose Podcast, your show for everything Purpose Church. This show is a show to give you a chance to process your Christian life and talk frankly and honestly about what it means to be a Christian in our culture today. We believe that growing people change and our goal is to give you tools to help you have a deeper and more vibrant relationship with Jesus. So, discussion, books that are helping us, other media, awesome people. Uh, that you can tune into and that can help you grow. We also believe that we are better together. That's why we really want to hear from you. Please respond uh, on iTunes and, and other places so that we can talk about you online. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's February 28th, 2017. This, this, this is this, is, this, is, this is episode three. My name is Jarrett LeMaster. i worship pastor and the young adults pastor here at Purpose Church. And thankfully, it's not just me talking to you today. I have smarter and more interesting people here with me. He has sometimes been called a sickly musketeer. His wife has an actual magazine. I mean paper, people. For real. He's a Ph.D. in English and stuff and has recently been voted the professor of the best hair. We talked about that last week. How is that
0: working out for you? You know, it's really... I've been honored with recognition this year. It's been Kayla Spencer. You've gotten a lot of recognition for your hair this year. Yeah, really. no, I mean, I... I knew when I started working on it, it would go someplace, but I just <laughs> couldn't imagine at the time how far it would take me. You know, it is. It's amazing. It's amazing.
1: It got you into different conferences. I feel like I'm the academic yeah. Rapunzel. I mean, honestly.
0: <laughs> I just let down my hair and, and people doors listen. open. And people listen. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and the students get it. you know. And you wear that awesome hat that Australians wear. I'm not sure what that <laughs> is. It's called
0: an Akubra. Ooh, it's Technically, mine's hat. from England. I got it in Oxford. But you know, uh, Akubra's okay, um, so are leather,
1: but it's close enough. Listeners, an Akubra. That's, uh, that's what you want to be getting. Mm-hmm. A-K-U-B... R A. All right, guys, we got another guest with us here today. I'm super excited for you to get to know him. He has been told he has a face for radio. He loves long walks on the beach, and if it weren't for the actual ocean, he would get lost and never return home. Jeff Boyan is here with us today. He's famous for starting to shave when he was in sixth grade, and uh, let's see, telling jokes that are halfway decent. Uh, what else? He's an assistant professor of leadership at Azusa Pacific University and is a career coach and organizational consultant. He reads books like it's his job and hardly sleeps because it says here he'll sleep when he's dead. Jeff Boyan, everybody. Jeff so, Boyan. So
2: uh, I'm so glad I'm here, but, but how dumb is that when uh, we all have a lot of kids in this room uh, when our wives are pregnant or they see we're expecting a child and they come up and they say, hey, you better sleep now because it's, it's you're not going to sleep anymore when the kid comes. Like, can you still yeah, sleep?
1: Yeah, it's like there's a, there's there's like a sleep bank. Yeah. That doesn't that I exist. gotta make some deposits in, and if there is, where is it? Yeah. No, I actually think people have that sort of—they have a subconscious, like, feeling that there is a sleep bank that they need to get their sleep now. They do that. I think college students do this. I, I do this. I did this when I was in college. I was like, "Listen, guys, I gotta go get some sleep now because I got a big weekend." <laughs> you know, or I'll sleep when I'm dead. Like, yeah, no, you won't. You're just gonna be dead. You're just gonna be dead, and hopefully you won't be sleeping in heaven. That's it's true. probably not gonna be a lot of that. I, don't, I, don't I think wonder so. if we'll be resting. Yeah. You know. I, don't I don't know. So really.
0: I don't know. It's a deep theological. What do you question. think? Past the theology of rest.
1: <laughs> 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 Maybe we will sleep in heaven. Uh, anyway, so anyway, so Jeff, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. It's gonna be super duper fun. Super duper. I think so. All right, cool. Hey, well, let's get started, guys. Um, and here we go. <laughs> you <sharp inhale> At Purpose Church, we believe that we are better together. If you're new to Purpose Church or haven't yet, you won't want to miss the opportunity to sign up for Rooted. Rooted is a 10-week small group experience designed to help you connect with God and other people on their journey. During the past two years, over a 1,000 people have experienced Rooted, and each one has a story of the amazing ways that God has impacted their lives. Let's begin your story. On Sunday morning, find more information at the Connect Center after the service, or go right now to PurposeChurch.com Rooted for more information on how You can go deeper. Also, mention the podcast for a 25% discount on your materials. Get rooted. Okay, so this week we're covering last week's sermon titled, Generous People Transform the World. It was preached by Jen, uh, Glenn Gunderson. You may have heard of him. Jen Gunderson. <laughs> his, <laughs> like Jen. His lost, his lost sister. Jelen. <laughs> Jelen Gunderson. Uh, it's a soft J-Len. G. Jelen Gunderson. Anyway, so warning. I repeat, warning, if you weren't there on Sunday, I strongly encourage you to go back and access the archives at purposechurch.com slash category slash sermons. So... Yeah, you want to have a better understanding, a better summary than I'm about to give you. Also, you will get a better picture of what this sermon was about in the discussion following. Um, so some of the views here might be controversial, especially from Jeff or Caleb. I will toe the line. All right. So, so, Caleb, why don't you give us
0: a summary from last week's sermon? Well, Jared, I didn't write this out as we usually do. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, but (laughs) uh, Glenn last week preached on uh, I uh, I, I guess I wrote down the thesis is something like uh, it's a good use of your money to invest in the kingdom Uh, but the basic topic was the vision statement about generous people uh, changing and transforming the world I don't think that's the direct quote generous people
1: transform the world that is uh, is our
0: value our value is generous people transform the world so he was talking about how like the lie of our culture is spending money on yourself is the most enjoyable. I think the phrase he used was cool way to spend money and contrasted that with um, the Christian view of generosity and how it's actually more enjoyable to spend money on the kingdom. Um, so he preached through a couple passages, but the one that really stood out for me was the one in Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, uh, maybe we should just read a little bit of it, but it says, Bring in the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and there might put me to the test says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. And pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a de- land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Cool. Yeah, so, I mean, he went from there to talking about how um, how there's, you know, generosity leads to the work and the mission of the church. So that it basically that if we bring in the storehouse...
1: Yeah, so we get we get a chance through our generosity, we get a chance to partner with the church yeah. in yeah. doing
0: the work of the gospel around the world. Yeah, exactly. So that generosity is, in a sense, uh, both a means that God transforms us, but also that means that God uses to transform the world around us and to do the kingdom's work. Yes, I love this. I love this. The, we're going to talk a lot about transformation today,
1: personal and also global and local and all kinds of transformations. I'm similar. sorry I
0: didn't say that in the usual cool voice that you did the summary. <laughs> <laughs> Purpose people.
1: Purpose people. So that was it. Okay, that's great. Generosity
0: well, transforms you and it transforms the world.
1: Okay, so that whole, the whole concept of generosity and transforming the world and, and being a partner with us in missions uh, kind of like brought about some questions that I wanted to talk about. Um, so let's get to those right now. So how, so how does the world, there's a first question, number one. How does the world see generosity and how does the church see generosity? Um, I think... I just would like to know, like, do you, can you guys contrast those two concepts? Like, what is the worldly view of generosity versus the church's view?
2: Well, I think you would hope that they're different. You hope so. But, but they're not. And, and that's, that's not good. So we want them to be different views. So, if, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this in, just in preparation, how we view stuff. Mm-hmm. So in, in the more stuff, you know, I don't know if you remember, but we're all of this era. No fear shirts. Mm. Oh, the, yeah. The, the man who dies with the most toys still dies. I was thinking of big
0: dogs when you said
3: that yeah big dogs, big big dogs I, I thought, you dogs, thought of Varney you know, France Okay, run with the big dogs stay, out, stay on the porch or Stussy or
2: Stussy. Quicksilver Rusty Stussy. I mean, yeah. Stussy's back actually yeah, it's it back is, he's, yeah. he's yeah. still, still back. around
1: Varney has not call- made call- to come back yet people so. are calling it Stussy which uh, is a real problem for me it's so, a real problem um, yeah. but that's sure. not sure. his name the actual pronunciation is Stussy and that's the guy he's a guy he's an actual guy his name is Stussy and I used to write that on all my peach colored notebooks with the S yeah the S it's on my the dots over the U yeah the kind of hey we're getting off
0: topic here. <laughs> oh,
1: wait. So Stussy. Stussy. Anyway, so what you are you saying? You're Should talking
0: book? about materialism. We're talking about Consumption or yeah, desire
2: Consumption for and, and how you know, we make in the world around. And we've, what, how many kids do we have between all three of us? 175? Oh, wow. 11.
0: So. Plus my cats. 11. Yeah. So in this, And your uh, dog. And I don't know how many animals.
2: Yeah, I don't have any animals. We have a
0: menagerie.
1: Yeah, my, my dog is definitely a second class citizen.
2: But think about your kids <laughs> and how much stuff they want. When was the last time you went to Target and there was like, oh, hey, dad, what can we get for you today? No, where do we go?
3: We go, go the the toy we go to the toys section.
0: That's not actually true in my family. Yeah, but. Well, that's
2: great. So need to, <laughs> <Yeah. my> kids, <laughs> we need to learn nice. from yours. So no, no, no. <laughs> I mean that I,
0: we also shop for dad. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> <gotcha>. okay, okay. <laughs> no, no. You, Here, that yeah. just extends the consumption. <laughs> yeah.
2: But okay, but so, yeah. from a generosity standpoint, it's about how do I be generous to me? How do I take care of me? How do I take care of my number yeah. one in the world? Self-care
1: right. is a good, yeah, that's a good yeah, phrase. For yeah, it. but it's always about you need to take care of yourself. You know, like, and that's that's kind of the mantra of the world. I mean, if you were to Be generous with yourself. If you were watching Oprah. Which she's pretty generous though. She people did just say too.
2: today she thinks she could run for president.
1: Yeah, she probably could. And She could win. Wow. So she said.
0: Well, she well might, no, but I mean, I so, know, I so you what you're talking about you. in part, Jeff, though, is like the obstacles to generosity, yeah. and and in part, like what things substitute for generosity. Because part of what we're talking about, we're talking about generosity, is like not just giving, but who you're giving to, yeah. or how and you're if, giving, and what if it's giving. a closed system to some degree, if you're giving to yourself, there's less to give to others. Yeah. And whether that's, I mean, I, in part, we're talking about stewardship too, like. It's giftedness, it's time, it's finances, yeah. it's mm-hmm. bandwidth. I mean, I've been thinking more and more in my own life recently, not in terms of time as the scarcest commodity, but especially as it relates to involving uh, social media landscape, like attention or presence mm-hmm. as almost yeah. more important than time. Like I don't usually run out of time in a day. I run out of attention, like yeah. the ability to willfully be present to something. And and that's a commodity that you can spend on yourself or you can spend oh, yeah. in a relationship with another person or trying things. to make I've things happen. Yeah.
2: No, but I think that's an interesting point because we, we we're talking about generosity mm. f- um, and I think we automatically run to a financial perspective of that. Right. Sure. But yeah. we also monetize everything. We talk about how do we spend our time. You just yeah. said how do we, we you said how do I commodify said, my presence the commodity. Well it's my and favorite that's a, that's my a favorite term.
1: secular band, Switchfoot. Uh, wrote a song. Dare uh, you move?
0: <laughs> yeah, what was it? Dare uh, you to run?
1: <laughs> it was no. It was. Uh, it was the the lyric was. Um, Time was never money. Remember. Hmm. Time was never. Le- money. Is that the legend of Chin? I don't remember.
2: Oh, that was their first one.
0: Switchfoot is Derek Webb, right?
1: oh uh, no, no. That's Cayman's call. That's, oh, that's Kamen's yeah, call. call. But Derek Webb. Your
2: hair looks like it belongs in Kamen's call. Actually. Yeah, it's so huh. true.
1: He's like, I'm a little offended, and, <laughs> and,
2: and Jared's hair looks like it belongs in Kevin's call because Derek Webb. Because there's one is Derek. There no yeah, ball. right. I gotta be
0: the. I like. I like the guy. I gotta be. I mean, Derek Webb's good. I like his. He's a great writer. But well,
1: I think actually, if we all took a photo right now, we'd make a pretty good band photo. So whatever it is, we could call ourselves the Wild Stallions. Oh, I like the Wild Stallions. Okay, so anyway, we're talking Back to about generosity. generosity. Yeah. So
0: how do we as church people?
2: You did invite me to this, knowing this was probably going to happen.
0: No, exactly. I knew it. I knew that. So, okay, so, so we're contrasting what you wanted to say was how does the world's picture, and what Jeff had suggested is that, unfortunately, too often there isn't enough contrast, and the reason there's not enough contrast between our picture of generosity and the world's is just how much the church has become captive to the world. Well, and we're talking
1: about holistic generosity too. Yeah. We're not talking about just financial. We're talking about generosity in our lives.
0: We're talking about generosity with our time, generosity with our attention, um, living generously. Well, so they, it's interesting. That in The last hundred and fifty years, at least in theory people have been better off than they've ever been in right. like almost every measurable thing in life expectancy and everybody. I mean, this is across the six billion board. Not to say that everyone's life is good currently. It's not. But like, if you just look at the grand scheme of human history, we're all better off. But ironically, at the same time, I mean, generosity means something like largeness, right? Like this kind of capacity to give. And and one of the things I find fascinating about what's changed is people actually seem smaller and smaller in lots of respects. As we become freer and richer, we have become more anxious. You know, like the, the 20th century is the century of anxiety anxiety and obviously this is I'm not judging others I'm suffer from an anxiety disorder myself but we become people who are like you know small like we're very right. like we're frightened and we we are aware all the time and and that directly relates to our capacity to give away right like a certain kind of largesse allows you to sort of give and I don't just mean of money I mean mm-hmm. generally like I can invest in other people sorry to go with the banking metaphors again but but there's a way in which it works it kind of yeah I mean there's a sense in which I mean it, we think of generosity I think sometimes in in sort of like kindness or something like that but it also means a kind of a sort of largeness of spirit that comes it's with like a devotion that you know a kind of sense of identity like i am who i am and and along with that what so i have yeah and the therapeutic piece ironically has led to an attenuation of spirit like people have gotten smaller yeah. as they become more concerned with their self they've actually shrunk in size i know this is really large t- it's hard to quantify that but I mean more I mean Philip Reif is a favorite sociologist of mine who in um The Culture of the Therapeutic and Freud the Mind of the Moralist argues that the the irony of the culture of me is actually the shrinking of the self right that like mm-hmm. actually the self becomes more and more a problem in the culture that says like you know as you were saying Jeff get get yourself you know put yourself together take me time that actually ironically that leads us to be anxious lonely isolated people well i'm wondering like maybe this isn't the best time to talk about it but i i think um again it's still in the metaphors of of the economics but i wonder too how much that has to do with a sort of fundamental sense of scarcity like mm-hmm. i think maybe we are, we're planning on talking about that later but it yeah. seems like it's worth thinking about like how a kind of another another problem one problem that jeff identifies is the problem of thinking like self-care and generosity towards the self is the primary purpose of our lives another part of it though is thinking of ourselves and our world as in some sense a zero-sum or scarce resource game that there's not enough to go around which is mm-hmm. like you're, you're saying that's not a christian view that's kind of what made me think of it i don't think god's economics are actually based on a kind of scarcity like there, no there's more like if you well, get the more there's still more let's to talk
1: about god for a second because the scripture kind of refers to him as the he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Like he's rich. He's wealthy. Well, his he- terms
2: of wealth are different than ours are. Right. So there's a completely different definition and understanding of what wealth is. So or we look even at what is abundance? So yeah. if we say in John ten ten, so it doesn't say I'm going to come give you a halfway decent life. This or a, with a ab- lot of stuff in a, or in John yeah, 17. Uh, an abundant life. Mm-hmm. But there's no qualifier that says this is what abundance looks like. We have and I think uh, probably, I don't know, I can speak for us as Western Americans, we we have defined abundance to mean lots of stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, uh, since we were partly talking about having resources, I brought in three books today that actually seem relevant on the, the question, I mean, partly about social what class. Are those bu- what are those books? <laughs> well, I will get to those. I was just introducing what they were. <laughs> um, but it's I mean it's related to this kind of concepts of abundance. Like, where do we get our sense of what the good life is? Yeah. I mean, there's the good life as it's pre- presented in Scripture, which is most emphatically presented through – The people of Israel who suffer continually and Christ who's martyred and resurrected. Neither of which look like the picture of abundance that you see on most American television shows where everyone makes 300,000 a year. But let's define, uh, like according to John 17, Jesus says he
1: comes to that we may have life and life more abundantly. What does that look like for the Christian?
0: Well, I don't know, but these books help. So one is called The Suburban Christian. Finding spiritual vitality in the land of plenty.
1: That sounds awesome. One of the things I wanted to bring up really quick, just just before we move on to those, is that because some Christians define abundance yeah. as wealth, yeah, as like right. physical wealth, there are Christians that do this. Right. Um, there yeah. are specific Christians that we God all know does about. Not, he does not
2: want.
0: He you does to not have, want you to suffer. You to have
3: <laughs> testify to your beautiful. N- just bills.
0: testify. Say beautiful. Be filled. <laughs>
2: Those are really beautiful teeth you have. <laughs> well, thank
0: you. I thank wow, you so much. Thanks.
1: I got. I paid lots of money for you these know, teeth. <laughs> I'm going to anyway, go off to my private jet now. Somebody else's money, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah old, they're, no, you're right, though. That's a good thing. Sorry to interrupt.
0: Yeah, But that you're saying that people, te- people do yeah, connect Yeah, there are Christians. We call it wealth. the prosperity gospel, yeah. which I think is a heresy. Yeah, and it's I mean it and it sells a lot of books and conferences and makes a lot of money. Makes a lot of money. And and uh, yeah. So so I mean I, I think probably for most of our audience there's less danger of that than the captivity to uh-huh. sort of uh, what I would call the kind of middle American dream. Um, yeah, you know, and, and that's why these, I want to rise
1: I, to mediocrity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, so a, a little, uh, when I interview my students in class, ask them questions in class, um, I do a test. I teach a class on social class and aesthetics. And one of the things I teach in that class is just the sort of dominance of middle class in America. And so when I ask my students, um, to raise their hand if they're middle class, so a class of 25, invariably, every single person raises their hand. So I do it, like, with their eyes closed so they don't know who raises their hand. But uh, so, I mean, and that, that's interesting in of itself, right, because everybody can't be in the middle. Like, that's not a – any way you define it, it's not really possible for everyone. But in America, everyone thinks they're middle class. So in a sense, the even rich people are uncomfortable. When I taught at a school that had a lot of w- rich students, I had a lot of students who um, would come and talk to me. I taught the same class, and they'd tell me, like, yeah, actually, I don't want anyone to know, but I have a trust fund, but I, I try to look yeah. normal. And, and because they wanted to hear middle class. So so that just shows, I think, the attractiveness yeah, don't me of me the know middle. Yeah, that I'm super rich. Yeah, so these books, I think, <laughs> get at a defining, these three books I'm going to tell you yeah. about, get at defining like the middle class dream, which... Is I think a kind of captivity narrative in some ways um, yeah. it's a narrative not in the good sense like God's gonna f- this is a narrative from which God needs mm-hmm. to free us in part it yeah. is what the good life looks like rather than abundance so the first is okay. called suburban Christian finding spiritual vitality in the land of plenty and it's by Albert sue which he's a university guy and the next one is called Ooh. death by suburb and it's by David goats or gets actually I guess it's pronounced gets yeah
1: it's as good as it gets
0: yeah, he signed my copy apparently that makes it oh. more valuable and then the, the last one's name you can is sell that. Know, the last <laughs> one's name is like the most explicit on this topic it's called the good life genuine Christianity for the middle class well, I like it yeah and then you and I both had talked about in advance David Platt's book Radical, Radical. Um, which is I think the subtitle is the upside down gospel is that right Uh, you know I, I would have to look at the actual. I'll get that for us. I now. think it's that called the Upside Down. Or well, th- either way, Radical
1: is a great book and it's accessible. I don't yeah. know how. Um, I don't know how scholarly these works. These are, are pretty accessible. They're okay. they're
0: all kind of Bible study books. These well, are all David, ones I've used in, in small Platt groups. David Platt is
1: like pop narrative. It's yeah, like these are
0: like stuff. these are these are not academic. These books are yeah. like Bible study books. Oh, good. They're not like, so. They're like small you, group books. That's where I read all If you guys
1: want to know more about what it means to be in the middle class and how to find Christianity in the middle class, because I do think it's a challenge, look up those those books. David Platt's Radical
2: taking back your faith from the American dream. Oh yeah. that's ah. it. Oh Okay. So it does. It lines there is right a different
0: book this. that has, sure. I think Platt has a different book. that has So the difference, the, the difference, the difference
1: between things. the Christian faith and the American dream, I think is kind of what we're hitting on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how the American dream. Yeah. The American dream is like about success. personal success through, I mean, through home ownership, a certain yeah. kind of career, 2.5, uh, 2.5 kids, 5 kids, three kids, four kids, four cats. Yeah. Four cats. Mm-hmm. And, and the goal three being bikes, in some sense, like a, a achieving happiness. Hmm. And is actually probably at least in the 20th century how most people define it. And where happiness isn't like Aristotle's version of it, where you're virtuous, it's going back to it's that therapeutic. It's not eudaimonia. it is not eudaimonia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and but going back to to um, what we were talking about before, though, it's also it's it's personally defined. It's a therapeutic yeah. gospel of wealth. So or, or a gospel of health. It's the sense that of well-being. That's the so if book. you
1: were to try to okay. A sense of well-being. And generosity so Jeff, would undercut that. So, Jeff, I have a question for you. So if you were going to define what it means to be a Christian in an American culture and and to live generously, um, how would you do that for our listeners? What would you cool. say?
2: I mean, that's a, that's a big question. Let me go back. That's Something I've been thinking about. So um, I'm going to mention another book, and I'll make another comment about... Uh, Platt but in reference to Francis Chan mm. so Francis okay. Chan I, I think it was doing. him that actually said that the American dream is not it's anti-biblical mm. Mm. so there, there is no is that crazy love um, there is in mean, crazy love yeah. there is no American dream and I read that book in a city with some folks that like big homes and they did not like that book because it completely tore apart their idea of what we're talking about here success yeah. so <clears throat> excuse me I want I want lots of money I want a big house um, I want my six figure salary um, and God's going to I'm blessed, you know, hashtag blessed, which, you know, hashtag I just, I actually blessed. just had a little bit in my mouth as I said that
1: just a little bit. Yeah. But Justin
0: Timberlake's cool.
2: Yeah. Well, it's true. And Lecrae <laughs> just came out with sorry. a song called Blessings. So hashtag I mean, Lecrae is, yes, he actually. Could you hashtag,
0: do a, yeah. could you do your version of sorry right now, please, Jared? Um,
1: no, I don't know that song very well. Mm-hmm. Sing it.
0: Something about too late.
2: How's it go? I don't even. I don't even know the song. Too late to apologize. Oh, yeah. no, no. that one. That's, not, that's, not, Justin that's not. Justin Timberlake. Oh, Timberlake, not yeah. Bieber. So sorry. All right, that's so not go Justin for it. Bieber either. Not
1: Biebs. So go ahead.
2: Uh, too late to say I'm sorry. It's Bieber. I don't sorry, think so. Sorry, we interrupted
1: Jeff. Go sorry, Jeff. Jeff. Sorry,
0: Sorry, Jeff. It's too late to say sorry.
2: So, so I think that we have we have this narrative. <laughs> so, in 2006, there's a book uh, by a man named uh, Ron Sider. Yeah. You know Ron Sider.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So Ron Sider is at Eastern University. Actually, at the, was it Palmer Baptist Theological Seminary? Baptist. Shout out to Baptist. Here we are. Yeah. What, what? So um, He's actually Presbyterian. Yeah, well, but he's at a Baptist seminary. So <laughs> that is, this is true. So it fits your narrative, too, because you are, are an ordained Presbyterian <laughs> past minister, right? So, yeah, there so, so wherever there's four yeah. Presbyterians, there's yeah. always a fifth. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but he, he's, written, talk. he's written a book in 2006. So this is, you know, fast for a rewind 11 years ago. And it's titled uh, The Scandal of Evangelical Scandalism. Conscience, yeah, right? Yeah. So, and the subtitle is why do, why do Christians Act Just Like Everybody Else? So, and he, um, he cites a Barner report. And, you know, uh, we've all gone through, you know, lots of education or teach education. So, you can make statistics tell whatever story you want them to tell. Right now would be a great time to talk about Mark Twain's famous quote on statistics and lies and all that. But, but he says that uh, in this Barner report, this is again 2006, that 9% of born-again adults would say that they adhere to a biblical worldview. And 2% of born-again teens would say the same thing.
3: Hmm.
2: So so here we have this incredible, incredible number of people that say, I'm a Christian, but my worldview is something different than what Scripture says. And so we're living in a country, yeah. uh, and it's a country of abundance. We have more, like you said, Caleb, uh, than we could ever imagine. So when we look in Scripture, and God can do more in, immeasurably more than we could ever dream or imagine. But we 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 like to take that out, much like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, that mm-hmm. says, "I know the plans I have for you." So we're going to get a degree and go get a big house and have lots of cars and fancy yeah. diamonds and all these things. Plans to prosper you.
1: Yeah, prosper. This is the Israelites in prosper. exile. Let me hear it again. Though. Prosper. Yeah, this is the, they're
2: they're in exile, and this is prosper. you know. So we're it, we have this completely upside down. <laughs> And I think that that's the, so uh, who was it that wrote the upside down kingdom back in the Crable 80s? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but I heard somebody say a while back that we don't live in an upside down kingdom. Um, it, or I should say God's economy is not upside down. Yeah. But the world in which we live is upside down. And so Jesus came into this world to die, to raise from the dead, to bring, you know, the gospel message, the good news of salvation so that we could right side up the upside down world.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: But we're backwards. We think about it differently, and and if you were to remove, I mean, so what was Oz Guinness said that um, in the global South there's a resurrection, uh, uh, no pun intended, of course, except it was of uh, Christianity. But it's a mile wide and an inch deep, mm-hmm. and they're one, uh, they're one struggle or one challenge or one trial away from completely giving up their faith. Yeah, it's like pliable. so here in America. What if we did that? Like what? what if they all of a sudden took our homes Mm -hmm. or they took our cars I mean I've got two cars in my driveway
0: yeah it's that quip about um, I mean I don't know who said this but I've heard it enough times that it seems interesting here probably C.S. Lewis then (laughs) yeah probably (laughs) Um, about like if Christianity became a crime would there be enough evidence to convict you and I I mean I think like that's a you know I mean in a lot of respects people are culturally culturally Mm. Christians but you know Ron Sider also maybe at the end of the day the (laughs) book that really influenced me Mm. when I was younger was his book Rich Christians in an Age Mm. of Hunger which was written during the famines in Ethiopia and other things in the 80s but I mean my parents when I was growing up that was really influential on our sort of you know personal story and how we kind of moved ahead and, and I think that there is still Christians today. I mean I think of we were talking before we started about Cornell West and his work in terms of talking about social justice. Yeah. But but there are other, other very central evangelical people in addition to Cider and I mean obviously Tony Campola who's also at Eastern um, and then the people at Sojourners um, who have you know who have called Christians to account on how much the gospel has become captive to the American Success or American dream narrative. Um, So, the scandal of the evangelical conscious is a great example of that as well, um, which is still in print. I just checked. Yeah. I I got a copy a couple months ago. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, you you know, you bring up in that part too another book and another topic that's related is related to young adults, Mm. um, since some of our audience are. Um, Christian Smith has this series of, uh, it's related to the CIDR statistics, Mm. you know, isn't the quip from from, uh, Twain? There's three kinds of lies, 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 lies. <laughs> damned lies, and <in> statistics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, but so Christian I tried Smith that is from the pulpit one time. It didn't go over that well. So. <laughs> Christian Smith is like a sociologist, so he tracks in uh, in the world of statistics. But he has these three books that are based on this huge study of, of American um, young adults and teens about their religious lives. Mm-hmm. And I think the first one was, I think, Souls and Transitions. Souls at Rest oh, yeah, is the yeah, last yeah. one. I can't remember yeah. what the middle one is. And out of it, the, he coined the phrase therapeutic moralistic deism, yeah. that's to capture basically the the worldview to use the term you were yeah. using of a most American kids, regardless yeah. of their religious affiliation. So the the crazy thing about it was basically that whether you were sort of a non-religious affiliate, a Muslim, a Christian, a Jew, something else, basically the the worldview that you presented was actually captured by that phrase yeah. that you know. Therapeutic in the sense the purpose of religion is to make you feel good. Yeah. Um, moralism. Moralism in the sense of like doing what's make right. Do um, the right thing. Deism in the sense that like God's kind of in control, but not really involved directly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so.
2: we, we're functional atheists is what we are. Yeah,
0: exactly. Functional no. atheists. Yeah, and, and that, of course, and all of this is to get back to generosity, because if you don't have a theology underpinning yeah. why you should be generous, then scarcity is going to reign. Because yeah. why would you, if you yeah. don't really believe that God is on the throne and in control of your life right and the world so let's talk about why would this. you be generous let's talk about this so what is our theology of
1: generosity I know that in church what we do is we start with tithing okay mm. so one of the things Richard Stearns um, I wrote think we start book. with Providence oh yeah <laughs> right we don't start with tithing uh, in a general sense but I think you know we always say start with tithing ten percent um, here's the thing Richard Richard Stearns wrote a book called the hole in our gospel yeah um, you guys have probably read it I don't know if any of you guys out there in radio land have you read should. it. You should yeah, read it. it should. It's fantastic. It's uh, he was the he is the CEO of World, Vision, world Vision, the president yeah. of World Vision. So probably um, both, probably it's president and CEO. Yeah, yeah. And um, and he wrote this book to kind of indict the church to say, listen, mm-hmm. we are not giving anything. <laughs> We're giving almost nothing back uh, to the world globally. We do think a lot about our own purposeful. I mean, our our own church. We think about a lot. I mean, our megachurch. He contrasts like the church in Africa. Versus like a mega church in the United States. Um, you guys have to check out the book. It's fantastic. But basically, it's very convicting because what he's saying is we're not giving. Mm. And if the church was giving, we could solve the world's problems. Uh, we've got 247 million Christians in the United States, they claim to be Christians. We've got um, 99 million say that they go to church. Of those 247 million, and then you've got 1.5 million that actually tied that actually give to the church. So that's a very very small number. That's really interesting. And um, unless it's a lie, yeah. Unless Unless it's it's a statistic. (laughs) Unless it's a statistic that Mark Twain would, uh, yeah.
2: Well, I've even heard it said if Christians were to give, and I don't, again, I don't know how true this is, but I've heard it said, you have heard it said, uh, that I tell uh, you, yeah. Um, but I tell you exactly. So <laughs> I, I have heard it said. Uh, that's a, um, a counterintuitive gesture. Shout out to John Jean Lippmann Bloomin again. Um, what, what? But uh, if we were to give Christians that is one percent more in addition to what we've been given, we could completely eradicate uh, poverty.
0: Yeah, one percent. When um, Bono and and uh, Red came out, I and mean, also the One Project. Yeah. Both. I mean that that was also used as 1%. talking about the one percent of poverty and also the. Um, like the the poorest of the poor in yeah. the world, and right. also AIDS and But then, what
2: do you do with with scripture? You see that Jesus says that the poor will always be with you. Yeah. So then it kind of it kind of messes with your theology. So it does. It so this is why theology matters so much. Yeah. That we have a right understanding of our theology. Sure. Sure.
0: So what's the theology of tithing? Where does it come from? Why do we do it? Malachi. I think there's a couple of different pieces to the theology of tithing. I mean, the one part of it, I do. Th- I mean, I do think that God is interested in personal formation, and so I think there's an element of tithing that is is actually not... One, one thing that concerns me at times is that we talk about tithing in, in almost um, sacramental terms, mm-hmm. like it's an outward expression of the inward reality of your personal life. So you tithe in order to sort of... It's very ritualistic. Yeah, and it reflects yeah. the inner reality. And, and I like that. I don't think that's entirely wrong, but there's another way of thinking about it as personal development, which is that it's actually an act of faith. And, and what I mean by that is that you trust God to provide, and the way you trust him is by giving him what you have, which is not like a... It's not a cognitive act it's actually which is his already yeah no it's right it is already. his already us. but i mean of course in one sense you don't have to give it back and i've been to churches where they tell you like 10 percent is just an arbitrary number you okay, don't need to give so anything that,
1: that brings up that brings up a story that i feel like uh, um so in my life in my christian life i've always felt like god has required the things that i love um and he's given things back to me but it's been an, it's it's always been in a different kind of sense so there was a last year so i'm an actor Last year, I got this opportunity uh, to be in the biggest movie that I've ever gotten. And I got a, I got a nice part in a big movie, La La Land. Uh, n- <laughs> no, uh, Moonlight but, actually. But La it was Moonlight, you know yeah, I was gonna sorry. play I was I gonna play confused. a Russian mobster you know and and like it was gonna be really cool. It was gonna be this great part. It was gonna be with the girl that's playing Wonder Woman now and and some other people and it's kind of anyway. So it was like a big deal. Um, and I've been working for that part for 17 years. Like I've been a- auditioning for that part. And have been practicing Russian for 17 years. For 17 years. And no, I've been I've been an actor and auditioning for that long. Mm. And finally this thing showed up. And when my agent told me, the Holy Spirit checked my spirit and he said, No, you have to give that up. And and mm. what, what people tell me, and this is this is where people's theology is all jacked up. <laughs> people would tell me this. They'd be like, Well, Jared, you know, you know, you, you turn that down, but God is going to provide you with a better opportunity. Mm. He's gonna give mm-hmm. you a bigger movie, He's gonna give you something yeah. more awesome. So when people were telling me that, um, I really felt like the Holy Spirit was like, no, that's not the way this works. What you get in return for being obedient is me. (laughs) Mm. He's like, I am the abundance. I am am the prize that you get in, in contrast to what you turn down in the world. You get intimacy with me. And what happens is when people make those compromises and when they chuck their Christianity for other opportunities or for bigger things, bigger houses, when God's asking them not to do it, whatever it is that they chuck their Christianity for, they get the stuff, but, they, but they, don't get, they don't get Christ. They don't get the intimacy with yeah. Christ that they had before when they were walking in obedience. Yep. And so that's abundance to me. That's what I was thinking. It's not an exchange. It's not transactional. We don't get, we don't get better stuff if we give up other stuff. Like that's, that's a lie. You know? mm-hmm. That is a lie from the pit of the the, the hell. The snake-handled the pit of the devil.
0: <laughs> the snake headed pit of the devil down there in the south. And um, we are you know, not, as a sidebar in this conversation, we are not opposed to Southerners. We have deep and abiding respect no, for their we, culture. No, we love them. Yeah. But oh. <laughs> but I would <laughs> say, do. well, there's, and it
1: also kind of brings up this other story, which I think it's a good time to say this, too, because I also believe that there is God is a provider. So mm-hmm. there's this other side. He provides, one of his names is provider. When Abraham and Isaac, and he was he was going to sacrifice Isaac, we get the name of God, God, you know, Jehovah Jireh, the provider, when he's about to sacrifice Isaac on the altar and God provides a ram. And then, you know, obviously there's Christology there. There's all kinds of, you know, prophecy that's happening there. There's pictures, but in our own lives, I found that when I have needs, God does provide, even if they are physical needs. Like, so, you know, when I decide not to go out and buy a car, um, because we don't really have the money to do it um, and we pray and we pray and we pray We're like i need a minivan i need this minivan because i have all these kids and then god provides he gives us a minivan there's a solution to that <laughs> Get <That's> cats.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no that's a good solution but god god was like no i want you to have these little humans but we so, wh-
2: why don't we trust that like why that's my question so why we yeah. hear stories like that and we go man that is awesome jerry i love that story That's so cool that that happened But it's not going to happen to me. So I'm going to go go in further debt and buy this car that I can't afford.
1: Yeah. So now we're bringing up debt, which I, I think is good. And right, I don't know, but why
2: that's back to the captivity
0: it. narrative of it's American the middle class, yeah. and we live as though we can. It's the plausibility
2: we can structure outdo our, our debt by right. earning our way. There it is a money term yeah. again. We can uh, earn our way to heaven. Right.
0: So do
1: we, the other thing is, do we need to get out of debt before we can actually be generous?
2: Well, Dave Ramsey says. so
1: I think Dave Ramsey's right. <laughs> but that's a, that's a good question though, yeah. because can yeah. we borrow money to give to other people? Like, is that it's like let me borrow. Yeah, this if I'm a college money.
2: student, if you're a college student listening and you're on school loans to pay for your school, are you supposed to tithe your school loans? I don't
0: think so. Right. I mean, that's just me. But, but I mean, a separate question is is like how you should think about school loans, even before yeah. you the question of, you know, I mean, I think that's part of it. Is I mean, uh, obviously, the Christian life is not just an intellectual life, but mm-hmm. I do think that, um, and I guess this is where I sound like an English professor.
1: Be, mostly because of the timbre of your voice. Yeah, you did, right you, you did go deep, I, bit and quiet, get a little deeper and quieter.
0: As I walked out one evening, Excuse you know, me. walking down Can't. Bristol Street, the Speak crowds out. upon <laughs> the pavement were fields of harvest wheat. And down by the brimming river. Whoa. Whoa.
2: <laughs> Are nice. you making that up right then, or is that somebody? No, that's, that's really good. That's
0: WHO. You should write that down. Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> no, so, I mean, in all honesty, though, I, I think the one of the challenges is that christianity is inherently countercultural and continues to be because people continue to be sinners and that means in some sense that christians will always and this is your point about scarcity as well christians will always have to fight the plausibility structure of the culture they live in and this becomes especially challenging when that culture represents itself as christian right mm-hmm. like you come to identify your culture with Christianity as the same thing when in fact there are pieces of it that very well may be Christian like there are amazing things about America today that are right. deeply integrated with the Christian faith like the fact that we as we talked about in the first podcast that we re- we educate kids who are disabled because we have a sense of God's image in all people right. amazing way that I'm not going to talk about that today yeah. <laughs> amazing way though that we still reflect that but on the other hand we also have Whole series of commitments that seem to be deeply antithetical to some of Jesus's primary teachings, including yeah. what Jeff was just talking about. Like so the question debt. is
1: can can we be Christians and maintain a worldview that is not biblical? It, can we be Christians and maintain a lifestyle that's not biblical? And and I would I would actually posit no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we can, and I think it's what's well, a question of
0: ordering? <clears throat> are right. we Christians or are we Americans? Yeah. We can be christian americans right. but what we often are as american christians american
3: christians well, it's, first. It's, so
2: it's the conversation that so i'm a i'm a i'm so I'm, you can't see me but i'm a white as white as white minivan driving dude and i love hip-hop right yeah. so and that's fine so i'm i'm a bit of a, a anomaly oh that's a lecrae uh, reference right there you're welcome but um
1: uh, well he listens so yeah that's, well I, he yeah.
2: does and that's good so I, we'll, we'll tweet this out to him But this idea that, you know, I'm not a Christian rapper or I'm not a Christian this. I'm a this that happens to be rapper. right? I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a plumber that happens to be a Christian. So we we have this descriptor. And I saw some other day say that we are not Christian Americans. We are Christians that happen to be in America. Yeah. So, and because we are in exile.
0: Well, Stanley Hauerwas' whole thing about sojourners and wanderers, yeah. and his like the way that he's been really. Inf- Stanley Hauerwas is a Duke theologian and formerly at Notre Dame. For the audience that is not familiar with him, H A U E R W A S Stanley Hauerwas. Uh, but PhD. his <laughs> his work as is a, in lots of measures. He has a book that's. Um, kind of relevant for this conversation that's a series of essays that's about the, the gospels um, actually really about scripture mm. is captive to the american narrative and and his point is not to be unpatriotic he's deeply no. patriotic his point is that our allegiance is first to the kingdom of yes. god it's like, first the kingdom yeah that the kingdom Seek first the kingdom and, for, and all yeah. of these things will be added yeah, to it's you. not. Well, and it's and in america uh, it's founded on in some ways on the same principle that yeah. like actually our identity in our nation will be in some sense secondary even republicanism itself yeah. sets up a kind of hierarchy of federalism and you know the, so there's a sense in which even America's own structure is actually in some con- sense connected to that sense that we'll have a more primary affiliation yeah.
1: well and i think i think if we identify as anything other than Christians first. Anything other than Christ follows first. That becomes a real issue. It becomes yeah. a real problem as far as our identity goes, because our identity needs to be in Christ first. So it's not because we're all not of just those talking, things will be sucked away.
2: Right. And so if yeah. my identity is in my job, and I right. lose my job, what happens? If my identity is in my family, and my family gets—I mean, I hope not, but who knows? They get hit by a bus today. Yeah. And they're gone. What happens? But my identity in Christ—it cannot be taken. I mean, right. I cannot be taken from His hand.
1: Yeah, we're talking... I mean, if we don't live biblically with our finances, if we don't live biblically with our sexual ethic, you know, like, if, if we don't... You know what I'm saying? Right. So but
0: all of that... I mean, it's interesting, though, because what you guys are talking about sounds like... So I would, If I'm an audience listening, I'm thinking, well, that sounds bad. Like, I need to be a Christian because all that stuff can be taken away. But actually, the flip side of that is yeah. there's also a great deal of freedom. Yes. Right? I was having a right. conversation with my wife today about the work she's doing for the magazine and how, you know, as the magazine has become more successful, she's had like more fear of it remaining successful. Mm-hmm. And what we were talking about is like, th- in similar terms to the way you were referring to your family, is that it's not on us to make it successful. Mm-hmm. But if you'd like to go and buy a coffee, <laughs> <laughs> <W-w-w-dot. laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, I mean, th- there's a sense in which there's a freedom yeah. in, in, in this is again, a stewardship point. Like if, if mm-hmm. all of it is his and you know, the, the cattle on a thousand hills then actually we have a freedom to do well what we do and then let go right and that includes like the parenting that we do it includes the work that we do there's a sense of freedom because ultimately like you said it's actually not an economy where we are the primary engines of success in it it's and you
1: see jesus kind of doing this i feel like jesus lives this life that is a little bit he he's he's living this transcendent life that's Mm. that's not down in the in the he he finds a way to kind of live above it, mm. and I know that he's God and all that stuff. We always talk about it. It gets a little complicated with him, without having sin and with being indwelled completely by the Father. That kind of stuff. He has this. The, he has this eternal perspective. But we were talking about eternally looking eternally instead of looking temporally yeah. and living eternally, and that should that should tie directly into how we give and how. But that is a
0: theology are. of generosity. Yeah, I yes. mean it is. I mean, like part of even even the people who don't follow Christ. I think it's fair to say that, you know, Socrates and Jesus, at least in the Western tradition, are two people who have been eminently attractive to people, even when they don't agree with them. And part of the reason that they are attracted to them is like you're describing a certain kind of transcendence, which has to do with a kind a type of freedom. I mean, in the way I just described it, like Jesus was not constrained by the usual concerns, Mm -hmm. which partly had to do with his sense of. Fecundity on the one hand, that God had enough. Explain what fecundity is. That for God those had listeners. enough. <laughs> that there's enough. Like that, yeah. that the creation is fecund, that there's like a lot. Is that sorry? Does that <laughs> that <mean? laughs> Doesn't translate well but, on radio. But, but, but so the, here's
2: the thing. It, so Jesus, yes, Plentitude. transcendent, but also <laughs> out of all religions in the world, Christianity is the only religion where the Savior came down to
1: us
3: mm-hmm.
2: and lived amongst us yeah. and indwell. So it was transcendent, but also indwelling. Not just. Spirit, incarnational the, the incarnational reality he can't he didn't say reach up and do this you know he's not saying is your salvation contingent upon how much money you give on a Sunday morning but what he is saying is your salvation will then indicate your response to when that you know text to give or whatever the plate passes by and where where is my hope and my trust? So mm-hmm. we probably all heard it said you know your heart is directly tethered to your wallet or some clever little quip like that um, but how true is that?
0: Mm-hmm. So, hey, this is a really good place. We had a quote in uh, here that I, I wanted to read that um, from another book, but this seems really relevant to Jeff. But you have the better reading voice. Will you read the Bonhoeffer quote? Yeah. Jarrett. Ja- ja- right. I, mean I will. You it should do over- voiceovers. Should you might want to work I in should. voice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, remember, it's Bonhoeffer, so the German accent, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not the Russian accent you've been practicing. Oh, yeah. So, this is for for the audience who's not looking at the quote we're reading. This is from. It's clear that we cannot (laughs) serve two masters. This is uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the uh, German martyr who was part of the Valkyrie plot, who was a pastor and uh, leader of the Confessing Church during World War II, um, who probably most famously published Life Together and um, The Cost of Discipleship, in which he coins the phrase cheap grace to describe the the gospel in Luther's. Uh, in lutheranism in germany where basically there's no cost to following christ it was just you know yeah i say i follow jesus but i don't i don't actually
1: so which bonhoeffer book is this from so
0: this is from cost of discipleship
1: all right cool that's one of my favorites here we go if our hearts are entirely given to god it's clear that we cannot serve two masters it's simply impossible at any rate all the time we are following christ it's simply impossible at any rate all the time we're following Christ it would of course be tempting to show how far we could advance the Christian life by endeavoring to serve two masters and giving each his due both God and mammon why should we not be happy children of the world just because we are children of God after all do we not rejoice in his good gifts and do we not receive our treasure as a blessing from him no God and the world God and its good are incompatible because the world and its good make a bid for our hearts, and only when they have won hmm. Because the world and its good make a bid for our hearts, and only when they have won them do they become what they really are. That is how they thrive. And that is why they are incompatible with allegiance to God. Our hearts have room for only one all-embracing devotion, and we can only cleave to one Lord. Every competitor to that devotion must be hated. As Jesus says, there is no alternative. Either we love God or we hate him. We are confronted by an either or. Either we love God or we love earthly goods. Cost
0: of discipleship. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry about that cognate. I cut and pasted this off of a yes, right. off that of PDF, a mistake, which yeah. switched it, from one, it, one it to one to one. One and one. And one. one, and yeah. one. Um, That's funny that the, the PDF translated <clears> it that way. It is interesting. It was in yeah. German.
1: So anyway, yeah, it, it's a, that's a very good point. We can't serve two masters and I, and, and, you know, Bonhoeffer said it, but before Bonhoeffer said it, Jesus said it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, he's, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, and I think we all, I mean, we all know that, but maybe. Well, I mean, it's maybe important to note know too, though, though, that Maybe like, we're
2: trying to do that.
1: Yeah. We're trying to serve two masters. And I
0: I agree with you because I've met. I don't even know we hear it preached very often anymore. No, we don't. Honestly, like, I mean, I think we all kind of are assuming because we read these books that we're assuming that, I mean, I, I think that the narrative that comes up for Christian kids who are raised in America today is like success is the primary thing yep. and happiness is the primary thing where both of those are defined in personal good and there actually is no teleology like there, other than the next thing there's no sense of what the whole is for i mean i do think that one of the hmm. primary differences in, in terms of purpose like what we're here for and i don't purpose huh? purpose church like yeah, hey, you, yeah, yeah. Hey. See what you did there. Is that there i'm <laughs> seeing what you're doing no but there is a fundamental difference in terms of like the christian sense of what we do and why we do it is mm-hmm. very different than uh, the sort of I mean if there is a kind of nihilism or a normal nihilism mm-hmm. in contemporary life it's that there's nothing that these things aim towards Like they actually Mm -hmm. just they don't they refer to nothing. Like why be successful to be successful? Why go on to success in order to be successful? I mean that in logic that's called a tautology and it's a dead end, right? And if there's
1: (laughs) an objective reality, then we need to be working towards that
0: objective reality, right? And and there's no sense of why we Mm -hmm. do this. And those things may be good in themselves. Like I mean, sorry, it may be good as dependent on something else, right? Like education is obviously a good. Yeah. It helps the kingdom. But it's but the question is,
2: what are you doing with that? Yeah. So we, we uh, the Two program that you Jared you finished the, mm-hmm. the Master of Arts in Leadership at Azusa Pacific <laughs> <laughs> University. Check it out. Check it out. So www. <laughs> but let's but, get deeper. But when when, <laughs> yes. I would, when we have our convocation and I talk with our students that are incoming and probably you do a similar uh, 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 thing with your students as well. But I say so if you get to the end of the program, you know, or your academic journey or experience whatever we call it, and all you can say is man that was amazing my life was changed period then you failed. It has to be for some other reason, something bigger and better and beyond you. It's Mm got to be this, my life was transformed so that, and we're not necessarily using that language, but so that I can make 20% more with a master's degree than I would with a bachelor's degree so I can be generous with that or so that I can uh, learn these skill sets so I can be generous with my effort, with my time, uh, with my service to others. Right. Because that, so we go back to the original question. How does our understanding and definition of generosity differ from the world's? It's it's beyond ourselves because God has called us to be, to be to be have it be more than just us.
0: Well, it's a, and that's a really good point because in one sense, what we're saying before Jeff is that God is not a means to our ends, yeah. but. We are a means to his ends. And so it's not like Christians are against instrumental thinking. On the contrary, we are totally in favor of utility and instrumentality. It's just who's the instrument and who's the end. We are the instruments and he is the end. So if you're you're thinking, your thinking is going totally wrong when you're thinking, I need to get an education because it will benefit me. No, I need to get an education so I can benefit. Fill in whoever you're going yeah. to benefit, and, because I, and it's, God
1: because God wants to use me to right. benefit. How that can
0: I serve? Where serving right. might mean anything from law to well,
1: it's 2 Corinthians. Parenting. So, so if you're comforted, it's so that you can comfort others. Right. If you're if you suffer, it's so that you can comfort others.
0: If you've been blessed, it's so you can be so a they blessing. can
1: bless. Yeah, like Israel. It's, if you've it's been like given, it's so you can be generous. Yeah. yeah, well, it's it's Israel because they were blessed to be a blessing, right. and yeah. and the crazy thing is, is they forgot. Well that's, that that's why they were, they were unfaithful. They were yeah, their infidelity they became,
0: lied in their th- their self-reflectiveness. Yeah, they this blessing became is for us.
1: Elitism. They became right. blessed to be blessed. Yeah. Instead of blessed to be a blessing. So that's the end goal for us. I think that's a good place for us to kind of like sit on because are we being blessed to be a blessing? Here in the American church, we are very blessed people. We're very blessed. we have even the poorest among us are blessed people compared to the world. Sure. And there's a lot of poverty in the world. There's a lot of ways the that we can address a day those. People things. And, yes. know, the
2: folks that are making one dollar a day.
1: The people that we support at Compassion International. Yeah. You know, like those people, like we are blessed to be a blessing. It's not to be blessed. You know, we kind of think, well, I'm kind of blessed to I want to be really comfortable and then mm-hmm. I can be a blessing. And so how do we change that thought process?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's always this if only I had more, then I would be more generous. Right. So um uh, uh have you all read is it um the tipping point gladwell yeah, I think well. it's the so tipping Glad- point right? gladwell um it's one of his books uh and he talks I don't there's a term for it but basically once you've made a certain amount of money like we say that that, that money buys happening, I think is where yeah seventy four, seventy five thousand. 75000 so yeah, you're actually naturally. the quality of your life actually decreases with the more money that you make now mm. you can kind of look at that from a different regional like here in LA versus what North Carolina, you're going to want to make more money to survive here than you would there. Yeah. So maybe it's different, but at some point, because the, the reality is if I'm making more money, I have to work harder to sustain a lifestyle so that I'm not able to enjoy the things that I'm purchasing with that money.
1: Well, and it actually goes along with the statistics too. I mean, we talk about stats, yeah. but lies. <laughs> these are true, true statistics. Um, SPSS PSS told me. Yeah. Um, so the, the more money you make, the less generous you're going to be. Yes. Um, and that's true. The richest people in our country give far less than the people that are in there. Oh, absolutely, as a percentage, as a percentage. Yeah, a percentage. yeah, yeah. and so they. Kind and that's of the story justify, that we see in Scripture of the
2: right. rich man giving lots and the poor widow giving very little. Right, but in the eyes of Jesus, who gave more, it was the widow, right, the it was poor the widow.
1: That's why he says again. It's it's easier for a rich man to enter. I mean, easier for an eye, the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for yeah. a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Which again, I'm sure that that has to do with like removing the stuff and going through the eye of the needle.
0: So can I talk? Can we talk about this in like maybe a slightly different frame than we've been talking about so far? And maybe it's not. Maybe it's the same. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Go. So so one thing we I'm just really, a guess. One thing we haven't here. really talked about so far, and and this is probably uh, connected to most of the things we have been talking about. Um, but in terms of like how we spend the resources and and related back to thinking of ourselves as instruments for somebody else rather than something else being instruments for us, I think that in our culture, w- there's so much sense of needing to build your own reputation mm-hmm. um, and your own, and, and, I, and I guess the word I was thinking of was actually status and generosity is likely to diminish your status um, mm-hmm. where, where status can be defined in obviously many more ter- terms than money. Like it can be through symbolic goods. It can be through consumption objects. It can be relationally, it can be a lot of different things. But as we talk, I mean, I, I'm struck that, I mean, even just the discussion about wealthy people and how much they give, um, one of the things that has really changed in our world, uh, somewhat un- somewhat uncontested by the church is the narratives of where status comes from i mean and and i think there's a really christian way of talking about status like Matthew 25 separates the sheep and the goats on the basis of faithfulness to Christ. Well done good and faithful servant it is actually a mark of status, right? It's you go into the kingdom that has been prepared for well, you. Well,
1: which also associates it with giving and generosity. Right, and no for sure. That. I mean that's yeah.
0: a very very why why am I going there? You clothed, the person asks, where was the person exactly? Like Right,
1: you clothed the naked. You, you did this for the least of these so, and prison. you are doing
0: it unto me. And right. I mean that's a very challenging passage, but it also Reorients us towards, and this is where it is a kind of spirituality issue, but also a theology issue as to where we want to get our status. Like, if yeah. you going back to the Bonhoeffer quote, if you choose status with God, it is likely to reduce your status in the world. Absolutely, like not necessarily, right. it's not guaranteed, but I mean, choices you will make that's been true are for likely me. to undercut the status you'll receive. Yep. In a, and it's definitely been true for me, and even career. within
1: Christian
2: circles, if you adhere to a strictly biblical uh, worldview there will be people that undercut you in, in within the church.
0: Yeah.
2: So uh, it's been said that yeah. every time, uh, every time this, uh, this is another art recording artist, every time I tell the truth, I lose money.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: But, so what, what sort of truth are you telling? Like, well, <laughs> so kidding. is it, is it your truth or is it God's truth?
1: That's really good. Every time I tell the truth, I lose money because that's been true in my life. God has required me to say no to things that would have been beneficial for my life, for my career, uh, for my job as an actor, um, for my job as a worship leader, like <laughs> even all those things. Yeah. You know, I've had to say no to things that God's like, no. He's like, I don't want you to have more. That money. are
2: all good things. They're all good
1: things. So having stuff, well, most of them having
2: are money things. are all. It's all good stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. So I think yeah. that we get this confused. Like we think that the that money is the root of all evil. No, no, no. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil.
0: Mm-hmm. Glenn said that on Sunday. I forgot to mention so, that. in my so, but, yeah, but, but, but
2: we we do. We forget to. We either we either remove words from scripture or we inject our own words and understand the scripture. Yeah, so and when we do that a, and we mess with Scripture, it completely takes things out of context. Totally. So when, when I look in the—I think it's the Sermon on the Mount, and we're talking about prayer and fasting, and so uh, you know I think it's the Pharisees, if they, if they get their recognition or their status, Caleb, like you're saying, on earth, that's where it ends. Yeah, It's done.
0: Right. Well, and I think we fail to think about how much—I mean, I, maybe, again, this is my own orientation. I'm not saying it's necessarily biblical, but I think one way of thinking about what the garden scene is is actually— a transition from one object of status to another, right? So our rightful place in the universe is that we were made to be status objects for God. We were there to glorify him. And our choice in the garden is to glorify ourselves. And America today, the lesson, I mean, going back to the the self-help narrative as you were describing it, is to love yourself and in one sense like that's clearly not an unbiblical idea except for when if it's we're detached. to love others like
2: we love right. ourselves and,
0: and, and they are both commandments yeah but there's a sense in which if we if we forget how prone we are to self whatever you want to call it aggrandizement yeah. glorification so it's there's a tension and it's not an easy tension to live with at least from my view like it's not easily resolved mm-hmm. we are to love ourselves mm-hmm. but we have a definite propensity to set ourselves up as the goal of our life and so we have yes, to constantly yeah. ask ourselves, am I building my kingdom or am I using my gifts and resources and abilities and talents to build somebody else's? Well, yeah,
1: and we love ourselves. We don't idolize ourselves. Yeah. We don't worship ourselves. Right. We worship God. Yeah. We love God. With we ourselves. worship God with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. That's our entire goal. So this has been a great conversation. Um, we're talking about generosity. We're talking about a lot of things. I want to kind of hit on some things that we need to give to these people for takeaway. So let's do that. Um, so the one thing that I want to tell you guys is, if you aren't giving, if you're not living generously with your finances or in every other area of your life, start now. Uh, there's a scripture that says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, it's the only place in scripture where God says, test me on this. So give, you know, give, give your tithe, give give more than your tithe and see if God can do it, see what God will do. Second, um, can you make better choices? This is the question. Can you make better choices in financial and and, and, and if that's the case, is financial improvement possible for you? You don't have to be in debt. You don't have to live a life that is um, constantly enslaved to someone else. The question that I rose earlier about whether or not you can even be generous if you're in debt, um, I think is a valid question. I would, I would suggest that probably not. We need to get out of debt. So good resources. Dave Ramsey. I think it's
2: just you suggesting that. I think scripture suggests.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I, I think Dave Ramsey suggests it, which is great too. We, we actually have, that course here at the church. Uh, so ask the front desk about how you can get involved with that um, financial peace university, get out of debt so you can be generous. That's the entire goal of that. Um, don't make it about so you can be richer. I think that's probably not not the end goal uh, three. So I think the third thing is, and, and one of the most important things is, is that we have a responsibility to the poor and we have a responsibility to those that are less fortunate than us as Christians. God has asked us to, um, you brought up the sheep and the goats, Caleb, and I think that was a really good reference because that was the standard by which God separated the sheep and the goats. And the goats, sheep go to heaven, goats go to hell. Remember from Cake? That's like the best song that Cake ever wrote. Sheep go to heaven. I'm going to put that on the podcast. Uh, anyway, so anyway, if you get a chance, read The whole in Our Gospel um, by Richard Stearns. Read Radical. Um, by David, David Platt. Platt. Uh, and what were the other books that you guys wanted to recommend just so that, that we can refresh their Scandal memories?
2: Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience by Run. Ron Sider.
1: Okay. Scandal of Evangelical What's his other Conscience. What text you mentioned, Sider?
0: Uh, the rich, age, rich Christians in the Age of Hunger by Ron Sider. Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 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 Um, you know, there's another book I didn't mention before, but actually be worth mentioning here. And it's um, kind of related to what we've been talking about. But Richard Foster's book, Freedom of Simplicity. Mm, Cool. I mean, it's a book that I struggled with in some respects when I read it just because of the sort of practicality of it, but the meaning, like, I'm not convinced those calls were my calls specifically in his book. But there's a lot, it's a good reminder of how simplifying can actually be freeing. um, Cool in lots of ways excellent Um, that's really good any other suggestions Jeff
2: yeah so um, we didn't mention this I know that on Sunday it was at least talked about in brief but Compassion International or some sort of a child sponsorship program like that in 2013 um, we can hopefully make a send a link out or something like this but um, a professor from University of San Francisco Bruce Wydick he did a huge longitudinal study on um, a response he gives people how do I change the world and he would always say sponsor a child He said but I never actually backed that up with any research so he did this huge study and the results came back undeniably that a way to literally alter one's life in the world today in some of these impoverished areas and nations was to sponsor a child so there's an article from Christianity Today June 14th 2013 and then he's got some other writings and actually if you want to read the whole report it's like 50 pages long but um, if you want like actual Statistical, and I know we talked about that, but scientific, verif- verified, valid proof that it works, he's done the research to prove it.
1: I love that. Yeah, Compassion International, guys. We sponsor a couple kids. Yeah. I know you guys do too, so um, get, get on that. I think that's a good thing to do. Um, what a great conversation we had about generous people transforming the world. Thank you guys so much for listening. Now let's find out what's happening in your church.
3: Amazing. Experience.
1: All right, so a couple of things that are coming up, you guys. The Young Adults Barn event is going to be March 12th. That's going to be at 6 o'clock in the evening. Um, come check it out, uh, worship with us. Let's have some discussion. Um, that's for young adults. Also, on March 19th, Chris Brown's going to be here at church. He's also going to be on the podcast the week following. So that's going to be really cool. I'll get to interview him, uh, see how things are going for him. Um, there's a lot going on. Uh, check out the website. Go to purposechurch.com if you want to know anything else that's going on. We have um, ways that you can get involved with Everyone Free, our anti-human trafficking ministry. We also have the Women's Conference coming up. Uh, so Lisa Tony was on last week, and she's a wonderful co- uh, hostess and co-host with us. So anyway, um, that's great. Finally, guys, this is the end of the show, so that concludes Episode 3 of Purpose Podcast. We want to thank you so much for listening to our show. If you'd like to send us your feedback on today's episode or ask us a question, Uh, you can do so by emailing us at podcast at dot com, or you can also follow us on Instagram at purpose Pomona. So if you'd like to follow me, you can do so on Twitter at twitter.com slash Jarrett LeMaster, or come talk to me after one of the services. Uh, Jeff, how can people track you down?
2: I try to be as enigmatic as possible. um, But if you'd like to get at me, um, you got to find me.
1: Wow, that was really, really... um, I'm not on Twitter. That was nebulous. Okay, all right, cool. Um, uh, Great. What about you, Caleb? How can people track you down, brother? I'm
2: I'm at APU. Come see me in an office. Okay.
1: Duke
0: 643. Oh, there we go.
2: Right by your dad. (laughs) That's right.
0: My dad's over there. You can email me. (laughs) At what? Oh, oh, uh, I had to think about that for what is my (laughs) email address. I rarely email myself. Uh, C. Spencer at APU.edu. Not many
1: of us do. Uh, re- email
0: ourselves I do pretty I often actually do you? actually yeah. I, for my classes I do actually regularly email myself in blind cc okay students. you know what I'm wrong okay guys yeah. I'm wrong I probably do about four or five times but per it, it's four still a lot of fills for All me right. so. yeah.
1: Purpose Church is a Purpose Studios production for more information on other shows in the Purpose family head on over to PurposeChurch.com or follow us at Facebook or on Instagram thanks for listening let's get connected on Sunday in a small group or on a, uh, at a service opportunity and let's go deeper are my co-host Caleb Spencer and our guest Jeff Boyne. We'll see you next Sunday or next time on the Purpose Podcast.